The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. We are in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 29. Um, if you've been with us, you know we're, we're cruising along in the study of Mark. And last week, our study, uh, the study of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, reached a crescendo with the transfiguration. If you missed it, you can find it on podcast. Mark has written eight chapters of eyewitness reports on the life of Jesus, meant to help us answer the question, who is Jesus? We saw that question reach its summit last week when Jesus literally metamorphosizes in front of his three of his disciples. He, he is transfigured before Peter, James, and John, opening up the windows of heaven, and letting them see the radiance of his glory that he has possessed from all eternity. Then God speaks to them. The, the, the Shekinah glory cloud falls down, and God speaks to them from this cloud and says, this is my son, listen to him. And here's what we were supposed to see last week. Jesus is everything. He's the meaning behind the universe. I heard John Piper quote this this week, he said, you want to know why the galaxies are so big? You want to know why there's so many of them and they're so expansive and they make us feel so small? Because the galaxies aren't telling the glory of man. They're telling the glory of God. And he's that big. Jesus is the meaning of life. He's the source of all truth. Jesus is altogether glorious. Therefore, you don't have to look elsewhere to find anything else your heart is longing for. But let me ask you a question that you might already be thinking. If that is true, if Jesus is the source of everything, if he's the meaning behind it all, if he's the heartbeat of the universe, and he can meet all of my heart's desires, how do I tap into that? Or in other words, it's one thing to know that the sun is full of energy, but it's another thing to be able to tap into that energy and then harness it and use it when we need it, right? So with the sun, we build these solar panels and we can put them on our rooftop and they, those solar panels harness the sun's energy, they tap into the sun's energy and they make that energy accessible for us that when the sun goes down, we still have power to power our homes, right? So it's one thing to say that Jesus is all-sufficient. He has everything you need, right? He can meet all your heart's desires. It's one thing to say that, but it's another thing entirely to actually be able to tap into that all-sufficiency and bring it down to us when we need it. How do we actually get satisfied, right? Jesus is all-sufficient, How do we actually get some of that all-sufficiency into our deficiencies? How do we fill our emptiness with His fullness? If you are lonely, and we say that Jesus is the answer to your loneliness, what does that mean? How? 
How can Jesus meet your need there? How can he fill your loneliness? Or if you're angry all the time and we say that Jesus is the answer to your anger, how does Jesus' sufficiency meet your deficiency? How can he be the answer to your anger? Or for those of us who are suffering and walking through great physical difficulties, how can you tap into the power and sufficiency of Jesus to meet your current needs right where you are? Now, let me let the cat out of the bag early, and then I'll build it out and let you see how I come to this conclusion. The answer, and many of you know this, how do I tap into the sufficiency of Jesus? The answer is faith. Faith is the pipeline that the all-sufficiency of Jesus flows to us. Faith is the pipeline that the all-sufficiency of Jesus flows to us, but faith is only a pipeline. And a pipeline is only as good as its source. And what we see today is that if your faith is in the wrong place, if your pipeline of faith is going to the wrong source, nothing's going to happen. You're going to get no results. But, The good side of it is if your faith is in Jesus, if the pipeline of faith is going to Jesus, his all-sufficiency can flow to you. But my contention is that most of us have far more faith in ourself than we do in Christ. And most of the time, if we were to follow our pipeline of faith, it's going to be locked and loaded securely into our own sufficiency, into our own ability and our own talent. And if our faith is in ourself and in our ability to navigate our life, then your results will be totally up to you and totally dependent upon you and your own self-sufficiency. And I think... In our text this morning, I said I'm going to to let the cat out of the bag, but I'm going to build it out from our text. I think we're going to see that here in our text. I think the disciples of Jesus show us a pretty good example of what it looks like to have faith in our own ability rather than in in Jesus, the Son of God. So let's jump in it. Look at verse 14. And when they came to the disciples. Now stop. Last week, right? Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? He's been on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and now they come down out of this great experience, and you know what they find? The the disciples, the apostles that weren't with Jesus, while Jesus was on the mountain, the disciples were at work. The disciples were still on mission. Praise God, right? You know, sometimes they say, if the cat's away, the mouse will play. Well, not so with the disciples, right? Jesus is away, but hey, he's trained them pretty decent, They're on mission while he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. But, unfortunately, look what's been going on. They came to the disciples. They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So the remaining disciples are in this big argument. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to Jesus and they greeted Jesus. And Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him. So here's the answer. What's the argument about? What's the hubbub? Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Okay. Jesus comes down. Arguments happening. The disciples have been on mission, but things are not going well. (laughs) Right? What's going on here? Well, let me just say this. You cannot accomplish the mission of God with your own resources. In your own strength. You can't accomplish God's mission without God's power. If you try, you're going to get really, really discouraged, and you're, or you're going to be able to kind of create counterfeit signs and wonders. You know, you're going to start making, making things happen in your own strength. And that's what's happened here. This distraught father has a son who is demon-possessed and epileptic. He has a great deficiency. This dad has a great need, right? This son is sick. The son has an issue. And he brings his son to Jesus, only to discover Jesus, the boss is out of town, right? He brings him to the doctor, and the doctor's out of town, but he's got some interns here, right? We're, we're not too encouraged by the interns here. That's what's going on. Jesus is on the mount. He's unavailable. But finding Jesus' disciples there, he asks them, okay, the man's out of town. You've been with him for a while now. Can you heal my son? He brings this son. He brings this great need to the feet of the apostles. And he says, please help me. I don't know what else to do. Now, this is not the first time that the apostles have encountered demons. In Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, Jesus called the 12 apostles to them. He gave them authority. This is what Jesus said. I give you authority over the unclean spirits, and I send you out two by two to push back the darkness and to preach the gospel. And that is exactly what they did. They preached the gospel, they cast out many demons, and they healed the sick. It was a great missional success. So the disciples have already went out on mission, and they already were successful. I mean, can you imagine that? Walking out, encountering demons, and casting them out, and being successful. And they came back to Jesus, and they were like, it worked. What you said worked. You gave us this power, and we did it, and it actually worked. They were pumped. But this time, something different happens. The disciples are unable to help this man and his father. They try, but they're powerless. Now, why is that the case? Listen, why can't they access the power they need in the moment? Before they cast out demons, it worked every time. Now, a father comes with a boy. Everybody's watching they probably go, okay, I'm going to do what I did last time. I'm going to say the same words I said last time. Ah, cast you out in Jesus' name. Or maybe whatever. Maybe they just said, cast you out. You try it, Andrew. <laughs> right? One after the other. They're trying. What, what's not? And now we got people pushing in and people, why isn't it working? What's going on? And now they're in this argument with the scribes. Oh, prob- who knows over what? or over over the situation, but who knows what they're nitpicking about. Why can't these apostles access the power they need in the moment they need it? Well, Jesus tells us, if we skip down, well, first he says in verse 19, I'll, I'll get into it a lot more later, but he says this, he calls his disciples a faithless generation. Faithless, they're lacking belief. They don't believe 
It seems to be that the disciples believed, listen, that since Jesus had given them authority over evil earlier, that this was some kind of permanent acquisition of power that they now possessed. It's like Jesus said, I'm going to give you power, go out two by two, and they're like, I got the power. And they're, they're going to go out from now on like they got it. Like this is, I possess this power and bring them, line them up. I'll knock them down, right? Like bring the demons to me and I'll knock them down. And now all of a sudden they, this father brings this boy to him and they try to do their thing that they did before and it doesn't work. And Jesus says it doesn't work because they're not operating by faith. And if we skip to the end of the chapter, I love it, because the disciples, Jesus does his thing, and the disciples get in a private room because they're probably embarrassed, and they go, okay, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Why didn't it work? And Jesus very clearly says this, why could you not cast the demon out? Because you didn't pray. Whoa. Demons can only be driven out by prayer. Now, let me just paint that picture for you. The disciples are confronted by a boy who is overcome by evil. He's physically debilitated and possessed by an evil spirit. And what do they do? I got this. They roll up their sleeves and they try to help. Really? Demon-possessed, epileptic, and you feel confident in your ability to help this situation? You roll up your sleeves and you step into the situation with boldness and you don't pray? Now, I don't know what can get you to pray if somebody in your living room starts convulsing. And I've had it happen. I've had it happen. What? There's nothing about this situation that makes me feel confident. Right? I am freaking out in this moment. I don't know what to do. I'm powerless. I don't have any power. Right? Shoot. Now, first off, before I rip into them too much, I think we should give them a little bit of credit, right? Because... Most of us would probably take off running at this point, right? Dad brings a boy, boy does a, has a fit, right? I didn't sign up for this, right? I'm a fisherman, man. I'm a fisherman. I ain't got nothing, right? Fish oil don't solve it, then I ain't got nothing for you. I'm out of here, right? Most of us would just roll up, you know, take off. But the disciples' actions don't just reveal like a confidence, like, you know, like, or humble confidence, okay, you know, we're going to stick it out. The disciples' actions actually reveal a deep confidence in their own ability to help this guy. They didn't cry out to God because they didn't recognize their inability to help him. Jesus is showing us something here that's really important about faith. He's saying faith is isn't a power you possess. Please hear that. Faith isn't a power you possess. 
It's a personal deficiency that you're aware of that pushes you to pray to the one who's all-sufficient. Faith is an acknowledged dependency upon Jesus. It's not a power that you possess to use as you see fit. And therefore, faith is naturally expressed through prayer. Prayer is the language of faith. It's vocalizing my weaknesses and calling out to God for his his strength. So here's three aspects of true faith that we see here in our text. Number one, an awareness of my inability or deficiency. If you're not aware of your lack, you don't possess the faith necessary. You don't possess faith in Jesus. First step of faith, an awareness of my inability, my lack. I can't do it. Number two, an awareness or an acknowledgement of Jesus' all-sufficiency. Everything that I lack is present in Jesus. All the power that I don't have, he has. Everything I need, he possesses. One, a lack in myself. Two, an awareness of his ability. And number three, a humble prayer to Jesus, acknowledging my deficiency and asking for his sufficiency. That is faith. That is faith. So the disciples' lack of prayer was a clear sign of a lack of faith in Jesus. Their lack of prayer revealed that they had more faith in their own ability than they did in Jesus. And this really frustrates Jesus, look at verse 19. And Jesus answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long, how long am I to be with you? And the answer for that is not very much longer, by the way. How long am I to bear with you? Jesus is frustrated. Jesus is exasperated that the disciples are still trying to operate in their own strength. They're trying to do ministry in their own strength. Now, it's one thing to be a fisherman in your own strength, right? We can do that, cast that. We can go to work, many of us, in our own strength. But it's another thing to confront a clear ministry opportunity, a clear evil spirit, right? And try to tackle that in your own strength. Jesus is frustrated. Now, how many times do we do this? How often in our life do we do this same thing? We say we have faith. But is that faith, if you followed the pipeline of faith, would it reveal to us that our faith is actually in ourself? It's actually in our own abilities. It's not in Jesus. How do we do that? Jesus says, here, you want to follow the pipeline? Here, check your prayer life. If you aren't praying, you aren't trusting Jesus. If you aren't praying, you're not operating in faith because you don't feel weak enough to call out for the sufficiency of God. You are quietly confident that you can handle it. You're quietly confident that all you need is to work a little harder. All you need is just one more big break. All you need is just the boss to do this for you or just the bank to do that for you. You're quietly confident that everything you're trying to do is going to work out. How often do you pray for your children's salvation? 
Daily? A couple times a day? Monthly? Listen, if you're not praying for your kid's salvation, at least on a daily basis, that's revealing a deep faith in yourself. I'm quietly confident that I'm a pretty good parent and they're just going to come to faith. To the complete unawareness of our weakness to bring salvation to anyone, that salvation belongs to the Lord, and that our, that inability should cause us to kneel down on our baby's bedside table and pray to the God who offers salvation to save our children. How often are you praying for your missional community? How often are you praying for your church? How often are you praying for your neighbors? Listen, these things don't float towards happiness. The world and our flesh and the devil are permanently set against the success of God's kingdom. And I know, here's the thing, I know you care about those things. If I asked you, you would say, yes, I want to see my neighbors come to know Jesus. I want to see our city renewed for the glory of God. But do your daily prayers show it? I don't think you're failing to pray because you don't want those things to happen. I think we fail to pray because we think those things can happen on their own without us. I was listening to a sermon from the 1940s by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones this week when I was cutting my grass. And he said, back then in the 40s, during World War, during the World War, that the greatest problem in the church was they were far too comfortable, too healthy, too satisfied to really cry out to God for a supernatural experience of God's love. He says, you know what the problem is? We're too comfortable. We're too satisfied. I think we've, we've got this mindset and it's really a mindset that doesn't understand sin, it doesn't understand depravity, it doesn't understand how broken we are and how bent we are, and that everything left alone, if God would remove his grace from us right now, everything would go to hell immediately. That God is sustaining the world right now, and every good thing that happens in your life, in your family, in your missional community is the result of the sovereign hand of God doing it, performing it, making it happen. Good things don't happen on their own if you read your Bible. All good comes from the hand of God. So I pray to God this morning that he sends some experiences to us like this to convince us of our weakness experiences that we can't handle in our own strength, where our faith in ourself is exposed for what it is, pride. And pride is the pipeline to faith in ourself. And what does James tell us? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In 2 Samuel 22, it says this, God says, you, or David says to God, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Who's the humble? 
those who respond in faith. Steps one, recognize their deficiency. Step two, see the sufficiency of God. Step three, pray to the all-sufficient God to meet our deficiency. That's what it means to be humble. So, Jesus here, he gets frustrated with the disciples' ability. They pull their pants up and they say, all right, I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can handle this situation on my own, right? Doesn't go well. They can't heal this kid. Jesus is frustrated with their lack of faith. And he says, bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. Jesus is about to remind everyone who has the power. Who is the all-sufficient one? It's not the apostles. It's not us. It's him. Look at verse 20. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. This is how we know it's not just epilepsy. When the boy gets in the presence of Jesus, he immediately freaks out. He immediately goes into a fit like he's done before. It convulsed the boy and he he fell on the ground and he rolled about and he was foaming at the mouth. The demon reacts to the sight of Jesus because Jesus is the all-sufficient one. The demon recognizes true power and true authority and knows he's in a lot of trouble. Jesus has the true power. And it's interesting to me that when this boy comes to Jesus, things get worse before they get better. He gets in the presence of true power and all the idols of his life, all the demonic work, all the evil that he's lived with for so long reacts and goes buck wild in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus isn't moved or worried. Look what Jesus says. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Now this is just intimacy here. Jesus is in complete control, and I find this so fascinating, that Jesus wants to know this father and son in an intimate way. He wants to know their story. The demon, freaking out, Jesus doesn't freak out. He looks to the dad and he says, how long has this been happening? Jesus doesn't and didn't just dispense miracles like some kind of divine vending machine. You get one and you get one and you get one. He's not Oprah. Look under your seat. Everybody gets a new car. (laughs) Jesus is interested in this father and son and he wants to know how long has this been happening? happening. He wants to know the man's story, and the dad answers from childhood. And it has often, this happens often, and it's often cast even into the fire and into water to destroy him. This dad realizes there's something, I know this is demonic, I know this is evil, because anytime this thing has an opportunity to destroy my son, it does it. We get him around water, and he has the fit, and it throws him into water to kill him. And he gets him around fire, it throws him into the fire to kill him. That this is something evil. And we know that Satan himself, he's, he's, that's, what he hear, that's what he's here for, right? To steal, to kill, and destroy. That we have an enemy of our soul, and that's what it wants to happen. 
He wants to destroy us, wants to bring us down. This dad says, it's been happening since he's a baby. So many times, the longer you suffer, the longer you struggle with something, the more chronic something is, the more hopeless it seems that things will ever change. And we so often just resign ourselves, this is how it's always going to be. I'm always going to struggle with pornography. I'm always going to be greedy. I'm always going to be afraid of community and afraid of opening up to people. I'm always going to be, have a sexual addiction. We're, we're just, we just resign ourselves to it. Jesus knows that. The things that we have struggled with the longest are oftentimes the very areas where God is wanting us to reach out to him in faith. But they're also the very areas where we are least likely to do so. Since childhood. Had this problem since childhood. We've either resigned ourselves to be like this forever or we are even worse, we're quietly confident that we can manage it on our own. 30 million people this week were revealed on the, this online site that it's to have an affair, whatever that, I, don't, I can't even remember the name, Ashley something, whatever it is. Ashley Madison, I don't have an account, okay, thank you. But 30 million people in America were married and on a website specifically designed to have an affair on your spouse. 30 million. And they were exposed in one night. You can't handle that on your own. You, are you not convinced with your own inability yet? You can't fix your marriage on your own. You can't raise godly kids on your own. We cannot make disciples in our own strength. If we do, they're going to be disciples in my image, in disciples in your image, not in disciples in Jesus' image. Powerless disciples. We can't renew the city. We can't plant churches. We can't do anything this church is about without the power of God helping us. This man vocalizes a painful piece of his story. I can't think, I know there's nothing that makes a father feel more worthless and powerless than the suffering of his children when he can do nothing about it. No doubt this father has went dozens of doctors He's went to the priests. They can't do anything. He's went to the disciples of Jesus. I brought them to your interns. They couldn't do anything. And now he brings them to Jesus. But up until this point, nobody could do anything. Nobody could heal him. And he's probably thinking, I'm probably going to suffer with this forever. My son is going to suffer like this forever. You can see this in his words to Jesus. Look what he says. But, he says, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But, if you can do anything, 
Have compassion on us and help us. So this man is not walking up with a swagger up to Jesus. He's not full of faith. He hasn't been at home, you know, speaking to himself and getting himself real confident in his faith. So he knows he got the faith today and he's going to walk up to Jesus. He's going to tap into that and it's going to happen. He looks at Jesus and goes, I've tried everybody else. If you can, if you can, would you have compassion on us and help us? If you can. Jesus just ripped on the disciples for their faithlessness because they were out there doing their thing in their own strength. This man goes, if you can, now, we do need to, like, the Jesus does, and first he's like, if? There is no if about it. Do you know who is standing in front of you? The one who spoke the Son into being. It happened out of my mouth. The Son. The one who told the galaxies where to go and where to stay and how big they are and used his hand to set that up. The one who keeps creation together, who's holding us together. The, this is the Son of God. The Son of God is standing in front of you. The Son of God has the power of God and can do anything if I can. But Jesus goes on to say, let's take a closer look at this. All things are possible for one who believes. Now, this verse, highlight it, underline it, put it on a t-shirt, but get the context right. Because this verse has had a lot of bad interpretations and subsequent bad applications. Okay? This is not your football verse. You don't get to go, I believe, I believe, I believe, when you're really saying, I believe that I got the power. I believe that I can do this. I believe I'm talented and I'm smart enough and I'm strong enough. And I believe, I believe that I'm going to go out there and annihilate my opponent. I believe. That's faith in yourself. It's not what Jesus is saying. This isn't your casino verse. I can't pay the mortgage. I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm going to go down to the boat. Now, you turn on TV, and that's how they talk about it. Horrible, blasphemy, heresy. This is not your verse that you get to apply to whatever you want in life. I believe, I believe, I believe. When in reality you're saying, I believe in my own strength and I believe in my own power. I have faith in myself. That if, I can, if I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I'm good looking enough, I can make it happen. This is how it should read. If we, if we really understand it. Jesus is the one speaking, clearly, right? So it should read like this. All things, and I'm just going to put this in there and I'll tell you why later. All things, parentheses, that are in my will are possible for who, who, the one who believes in me. Who believes in me. He, Jesus is the one saying it. All things are possible, that's in my will, for him who believes in me. Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the all-sufficient one. Nothing's impossible. I have all the sufficiency. Everything you need is in me. If you tap into that, if you believe in me, that sufficiency can flow to you. Everything you need is in me. Jesus is in effect saying, 
you have a great need. I get that. But the problem isn't here, bud. You have a deficiency. I don't. There is no if you can. I have everything you need. I have all, I am all sufficient. I have everything you need. The problem's not with you, or the problem's not with me. The problem is with you. And this should show us here. Miracles, answered prayers, they don't happen through proximity to Jesus, but by faith in Jesus, active trusting in Jesus. Jesus says, can you believe? Do you want my sufficiency? You need to believe. It takes faith to pull up the resources of God when you need it. You can't just sit there and hope things are going to get better. You can't just go to church and go to missional community and think that it's going to happen through osmosis. It takes faith, active trust in Jesus, admitting your deficiency, being aware of your deficiencies, calling out or seeing his sufficiency, and then praying and asking for his sufficiency to meet your deficiencies. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can heal your marriage. Jesus can heal you from your addictions. Jesus can multiply your missional community. He can save you. He can save your neighbors. He's sufficient for that. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is sufficient for that? All on his own. Do you believe that Jesus can change your attitude? Do you believe that Jesus can meet you in your loneliness and fill you up? Do you believe that God can and wants to save your neighbors and multiply your missional communities and change our city for good? Do you believe he wants to do it? Do you believe he's sufficient for it? None of that is going to happen by us just coming to church or going to a missional community or even reading your Bible. We must have faith. We must actively believe in Jesus. We must knowingly move, transition our pipeline of faith away from ourselves, away from our ability and our money and our security and on to Jesus. Now, for some of us, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes, Jesus says. All things are possible for the one who believes. Now for some of us, and you know, hey, God is sovereign. He does what he wants. He's in heaven. He does all that he pleases. And even our faith is a gift from him. You might be thinking, the way you're describing faith, Justin, that I need to transition from here to there, it sounds like a work. Sounds like something that I have to do. Or some of you who have came from churches with bad theology that have taught you that faith is something you must work up. Let me take this analogy one step further. Listen, and I'll tell you, I have a friend who, who's had, sep- they had um, several miscarriages. And they were a part of a church in town that literally said it happened because of a lack of faith. That if they had more faith, they would not have had miscarriages. That garbage is being taught in the name of Jesus in our city. I want to name them. 
but I'm not going to. Faith is the pipeline. Listen, the size of the pipeline doesn't really matter. What matters is if it's tapped into the right source, right? Is it going to Jesus and tapping into Jesus, or is it going to my strength and tapping into my strength? And the only way for you to be able to believe in Jesus is if God has already chosen you and already opened your eyes through the Holy Spirit and you've already heard the gospel preached to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, what is your response? God has done all this work already. What is your response? Will you believe it? That's your response. You say, well, I don't know. I still have some doubts. Right? Yeah. See, if we think faith is a work, we got to work this up until I believe like 51% or something. But that's not how faith works. It's not the size of our faith that matters. And let me show you. This is one of the most beautiful scriptures in the whole Bible. Look at this. This is how the man responds. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus is showing us here. It's not the size of your faith, the size of the pipeline that saves you. It's the source of your faith that saves you. Weak faith and a strong Savior makes the impossible possible. It's the source of our Savior, not the strength of our faith in the source that saves us. Now, let me give you an illustration. When I was a little kid, one of the favorite things to do for me and my brothers were, was when it rained, in, we lived in Parkview, when it rained in Parkview, we had this creek right next to our house, and that bad boy flooded. And we loved to disobey our parents and run down there and play in the flooded creek. And one day, this huge torrential downpour came, and the creek was huge, and me and my brother both, at the same time, we stepped into that water, and boom, we were gone. Now, Here's faith. That's my depiction of my faith in the moment, okay? I'm, we're getting sucked downstream really fast, and I'm flailing and grabbing anything. And I'm grabbing weeds, and I'm grabbing grass, and I'm grabbing, when I grab the weeds and the grass, guess what? Right? Doesn't help. Why? Because my faith, my flailing latched onto something weak, boom, and it was gone. But a minute downstream, I latch on to some bushes, some root, a big old root that's in the side of the creek. I grab onto the bushes, and then my brother's coming down the street, and he grabs onto me, right? Now, listen, my faith, I didn't have strong faith in that grass. I didn't have strong faith. I was just flailing and grabbing anything. Whatever would hold me is what I would grab onto. It was the strength of the plant itself that saved me. It wasn't me that saved me. It wasn't my faith that saved me right? The grass couldn't hold me, but this thing did hold me. Me and my brother climbed out of thing. That's what he's showing us here. I believe, help my unbelief. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. What does your faith latch on to, right? Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked. I believe, help my unbelief. That's the response. 
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, got worse again. It came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Weak faith and a strong Savior makes the impossible possible. Jesus rebukes this demon and the boy is delivered and made well. And listen, can I just ask you just really clearly, how did this man get his miracle? Did he get his miracle because he gave money to the church? Did he get his miracle because he was serving so well and he was on mission and he was living his life at such a high standard? Did he get his miracle because he was at home working up his faith? Building that faith muscle? No. He got his miracle because he put his faith, his weak faith, his, I believe, help my unbelief, he put it in the right source. And the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ flowed to his son and met his need there. He had faith in Jesus. He recognized his inefficiency or his inability and his deficiency. He recognized the all-sufficiency of Jesus and he offered up a humble prayer to Jesus, acknowledging his deficiency and asking for Jesus' sufficiency. That's the same way God works today. I want you to take a quick assessment of your life right now. Think about the frequency and the intensity of your prayers. Do they reveal to you a humble yet confident faith in Jesus to meet all your needs or do they reveal to you a quiet sense of your own self-sufficiency? I don't pray very often because I'm pretty convinced I can handle most things. I'm pretty convinced I read one more book, I get a raise, and I can handle most things. You guys, you guys have known, you guys have seen those beer hats. Faith in yourself is like a pipeline to the beer hat. Right? It runs out pretty quickly. Right? Faith in Jesus is a pipeline to the ocean. You can never drain it dry. But what if Jesus doesn't come through? What if I put my faith in him? What if I pray? And what if he doesn't do what I want him to do? What if he doesn't answer me? What if I pray and our friend dies or our kids get sick and stay sick? What if God doesn't do what we want him to do? Well, there's this interesting foreshadowing that's going on in the story here. The boy comes to Jesus. Jesus rebukes the demon and things get worse. So bad that the boy has a fit. And then what does it say? It says he goes cold like a corpse. He looked like a corpse. Everybody thought, everybody stood up and said, oh, most of them said he's dead. He flops around, goes cold like a corpse. He looks like he's dead. 
things look like they've gone from bad to worse. But then Jesus goes over to him. He takes him by the hand and he raises him up. What's going on here? Listen, in a few chapters, chapter 12, we're going to see Jesus. Hear me right now, please. In chapter 12, we're going to see Jesus trade places with this boy. Jesus, the sufficient one, the all-sufficient one, is going to trade places and feel in himself a deficiency. In the garden of Gethsemane, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prays to God. Listen what he says. He says this. He, he says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And then he falls on the ground in anguish and he says to God, Jesus is praying to his father and he says this, if it is possible, save me from this hour. If it is possible. Can you hear the father echo back Jesus' words to the other father? If it is possible, if Jesus changes places with the boy and he cries out, he falls down, he's sorrowful to the point of death and he cries out to God and says, if it is possible, save me from this hour. And he goes on, he says, Abba, Father, that means Daddy. He says, Daddy, all things are possible for you. He's echoing the words of himself right here. All things are possible for you. Jesus prays the same prayer. What does Jesus pray for? Remove this cup from me. Jesus prays, God, Daddy, don't let me die. I don't want to be cut off from you. I'm scared, and I know you have the power to save me. But Jesus takes it one step further and says this, yet not what I will, but what you will. And what was God's will? Jesus doesn't fall out like a corpse. Jesus becomes a corpse and a curse. All the sins of God's people were placed upon him. And God crushed him under the weight. And he killed him on the cross. See, Jesus shows us how to pray. His first prayer was unanswered. God, save me from this hour. God says, no. But God's will is even better. What does God do? Three days later, God the Father takes Jesus by the hand and raises him from the dead, accomplishing the salvation for every single believer who will ever put their faith in him, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the grave once and for all. See, Jesus shows us how to pray bold prayers, still trusting the goodness and the sovereignty of God. What if... He doesn't answer our prayers. Jesus shows us what if. Jesus shows us what if. God's will is always better. Will it be dark? Will it be difficult? Will it be painful? Absolutely. But our anchor holds within the veil. That song said that we just sang. Christ has been there with us. He has felt what none of us have felt the weight of the world's sin on a sinless back. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. 
I want to take a minute before we go to communion this morning. You know, communion is this. I believe, help my unbelief. Listen, communion is this. You feel, you're aware of an emptiness. Even if you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're aware that we're not made right yet, co- completely, right? We're, we're not glorified. With, we need something from Jesus still. And what does he offer us? He offers us his body. He offers us his blood. His sufficiency is meant to fill our deficiency. So I want to take a minute before communion, and I want us to humble ourselves. And I want us to just let the Spirit wash over us here, areas in our life where we're quietly confident that we, can, we got it, and we're not operating in faith. We're not saying, your will be done. I'm insufficient. I need your sufficiency. Guys, I want this time. I don't want to be a church that says the right things and just goes through the motions. I want a church where you're seeing the sufficiency of Jesus and you're feeling the sufficiency of Jesus meet your deficiencies. And that happens by faith. It happens by believing, trusting, asking for the sufficiency of Christ to meet you where you're at. And that's what happens here. Jesus is here. His body's here. His blood is here. He's here. I want our response to be, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Father, with those words, we know that the doubt can be a part of even our faith. <laughs> we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. We're not 100% sure of everything we think we believe. The one thing we know is you are the son of God who died for us. You show us what it's like to believe even in the midst of circumstances that would cause us to crumble. You are the faithful one, Jesus. We are faithless. You are the sufficient one. We are the deficient ones. We're not people who walk with a swagger like we have all the answers so telling everybody to come be like us. We're the ones who say, we can't do it on our own. Jesus, you are the answer. This morning, there's marriages that are struggling. There's parents who are on their last limb. There's children who have grown up in religion and they've never experienced the sufficiency of Jesus, the joy of Jesus. There's singles and adults in here that are addicted to pornography. There's many of us that walk with a swagger, confident that we've got what it takes to manage life on our own. And God, I boldly pray that you would bring a situation like this into our lives that rocks us, that convinces us We don't have the power. We can't do this on our own. Ultimately, none of, nobody walks with a swagger into the grave. You hold the keys.
to death, hell, and the grave, Jesus. You're the one who's been there before us. You're the one who knows what's waiting for us. You're the one who defeated it. We put our trust in you this morning. Father, help us in our unbelief.